I'm Verlin, and I have the opportunity of uh, sharing with you in worship during these few weeks. And uh, we've been in a series called Jesus Changes Everything. And uh, in the first sermon on that, we talked about how Jesus changed all of human history. Then last week, we began to talk about how Jesus changed religion. And more specifically, how he changed religious concepts of authority and power. Today, we continue that thought about how Jesus changed religion with an emphasis upon how Jesus changed the sacrificial system. And so today, I want to start this time that we spend together with an illustration of the temple, Herod's temple. Now, the temple of Herod, and by the way, this is a, a Bergen illustration, so don't make fun of it, okay? Um, Herod's temple was uh, the center of worship during Jesus' day and Jesus' ministry. Herod the Great began the temple in about 20 years before Jesus was born. And it wasn't completed until approximately 67 A.D., which means that it was under construction for... 80-some years. The temple that Jesus taught in and the temple that we have multiple references to in the New Testament is this temple. It sometimes is called Jesus' temple. It was built by Herod. Now, Herod was an interesting fellow. Herod the Great was a Roman Jew. He was a Roman citizen raised in a Jewish home, so he knew all about Jewish history and Jewish traditions and Jewish worship rituals. He was aware of all of that. Now, his motives in building the temple weren't probably all that great. He was a great builder. Herod the Great loved to build things in well, so that his name would live on even after he was gone. And he did lots of that. He built aqueducts. He even built, as we learned uh, one of the words here in the children's message this morning, Masada. He built that. Herod the Great did. And he wanted to build a temple that would be a great edifice to probably to his own greatness but also to appease his constituency, the Jews. His father was a friend of Caesar's, and so that's probably how he got his job in the first place. He was the king of the Jews. He was assigned to be the king over Palestine, over Judea. So the temple that Jesus used as a center for his teaching and for 
his, uh, much of his ministry is centered around that, it was almost completed, but not completely. And it was this place, this center, which was used as a place where the Jewish nation found forgiveness for their sins. And it serves as kind of a microcosm, if you please, of the entire sacrificial system of the Jews that had been practiced literally for thousands of years. Now, the idea of the sacrificial system didn't start at Mount Sinai with Moses. The idea of sacrifice preceded that by literally hundreds and hundreds of years. In fact, if you remember the story of Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac, you know where that took place? Right on the same mount where the temple was built. And if you'll remember from that story, that wonderful story about God's testing of Abraham and his commitment to God's will, at the last moment, God provided a substitute, an atonement. And we're going to hear that word on many of these scripture references that we look at this morning a substitute for Abraham. He provided a goat for Abraham, a ram, to sacrifice instead of the sacrifice of Isaac. So this temple sort of serves as a great uh, lesson for us. Now, in that outer court, of course, there was the great porch where you approached the temple, and in that outer court, there was the court of the Gentiles, and it was a huge area. It had to be because during Passover, literally thousands, hundreds of thousands of Jews from all over the known world came to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of their sins in the previous year. And it probably was in this court of the Gentiles where we talked about last week where we have the selling of cattle and sheep and doves and all of the business of the temple took place because anybody could go into the court of the Gentiles. Then inside and in the center of the temple court was the court of the women and the court of of Israel. Now there were signs, in fact historians have actually f- discovered and found signs that were went around that those two courts and those signs read any gentile who enters these courts will have death. So gentiles were not permitted to go into those two inter courts. Now, any, any Jew could go into the court of the women. And by the way, the court of the women, what they've discovered is this is where you have 
these pots for them to give their offering. Now, if you'll remember, it probably was in the court of the women where Jesus has this teaching about the giving of the widow's might and where he taught us about the concept of giving and sacrifice and the importance of it. And then in the court of Israel is where the men of Israel were able to go, and this is where they took their sacrifices, and they would sacrifice the animal on the altar, and the blood would be taken by the priests, and sprinkled on the altar. And of course, the high priest would take the blood of his sacrifice and take it into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it in the Holy of Holies for the sins of the entire nation, the entire congregation, the scripture says, once a year. Now, this is important for us because the sacrificial system is such a central part of the entire Old Testament. Nearly every book of the Old Testament has reference to the sacrificial system. Now, you know, the sad part about the temple is that in 70 A.D., well, after the building of the temple, the Jews started feeling like they were pretty strong and powerful, and there was the great Jewish rebellion to the Romans in 70 A.D., and finally Caesar had to take control, and the temple was destroyed, completely destroyed in 70 A.D. It was only finished in 67 A.D., it had been in building for nearly 80 years, and now it is destroyed in 70 A.D. And after 70 A.D., the concept of the sacrificial system was kind of just wiped out of Jewish history, and we don't hear much about it. It wasn't practiced. It isn't practiced today. But it had been practiced regularly, year after year after year, since... Mount Sinai in particular. The Old Covenant. Remember we talked about that last week. Now once the law was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, the sacrificial system was ordained by God and it, play, it was placed at the very center of the heart of Jewish national life. Through the un failing sacrifice of animals, God was burning into the heart of every man an awareness of their own sin. And this was meant to be a long, an age-long picture of the coming of the eternal sacrifice, the Messiah that came at the incarnation. The Old Testament, all of it points to this eternal 
sacrifice. I mentioned to you as we began this series that the book of Hebrews is one of the best examples of how the old and the new system fit together. So look with me at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. Uh-oh, you catch that? Remember what we found in, in John, the first chapter? He was present in the creation. The writer of Hebrews points us back to that again. He says, whom may he made the universe. And then look in chapter 3, verses 1 to 3 of Hebrews. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found worthy and of greater honor than Moses. Oh my goodness, to the Jews, that was profound. Moses was considered to be the greatest. And what the writer of Hebrews says is, greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. And then look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we possess. So here we have the writer of the book of Hebrews referring to all of this sacrificial system. We have him referring to Moses and the old covenant. We have him referring to the high priest. Jesus was the replacement for the high priest, the one who would go into the holy of holies and sprinkle the blood for the sacrifices of the whole nation. So why did the Old Covenant, why did that Old Covenant require a blood sacrifice? In Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 11, for the life of the flesh is found in the blood, and I have given it to you upon an, the altar to make atonement for, the so, for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. It is the blood that makes the replacement. Remember, atonement. A sacrifice in the biblical context is defined as the offering up of something precious for a cause or a reason. 
And the word atonement means to cover or to satisfy an offense committed, a substitutionary act. Thus, we can understand what God meant when he told Moses that the blood was to make atonement for the soul. In other words, those who are covered by the blood sacrifice are set free from the consequences of sin. Well, the animal sacrifices from the time of the first covenant only atoned for the sins for the past year. Therefore, they had to come back year after year after year. And hence, there was the need to repeat the sacrifices. Now, Hebrews 9, verses 12 to 18, confirms the symbolism of the blood as the life of the, as it applied in the book of Leviticus. Notice what he says in Hebrews 9, verses 12 to 18. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling of the unclean, sacrifices for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Jesus, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator. Remember, we talked about that last week. Of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, where there is a will, there must also be of necessity be the death of the testor. In other words, the one making the will. For a testament, a will, is in force after men are dead. Since it has no power at all while the testor lives, where the one making the will lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. So what was the purpose of the sprinkling of the blood like the high priest did in the Holy of Holies, like the priest did for the forgiveness of the sins of the people? Well, I want you to look with me at Exodus chapter 24, verses 4 to 8. And Moses rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, Mount Sinai, and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he sent young men of the children of Israel who, who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. 
Remember, all of that was taking place in the temple. Then he took the book of the covenant, the first covenant, and he read in the hearing of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to these words. Because the blood represents life, the sprinkling of the blood on the people represents the sealing of the covenant of God with his people. Jesus spoke of that blood. Do you remember it? It's in Luke, 22nd chapter, verse 20. It was during the Passover. It was during the Passover meal with his apostles. And he said, this blood, would be, his blood, would be poured out for us. Now we began to understand something about what we do each time that we take the Lord's Supper. When Jesus said, this is my blood. His blood was the seal of the new covenant. And it extended to all who believe. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 25, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the New Testament. What? In my blood. Those who believe in him step into a new covenant and through the blood that was poured out by Jesus in his death on the cross. So, what do we do with that first covenant? Well, I think it's still very important for us to study that first covenant to understand the sacrificial system and we grow in knowledge as we understand the character of God and the weight of sin in our own lives. We need to be as aware of the sin in our lives as the Jews were aware of the sin in their lives when they came year after year to the temple to make the blood sacrifice. As believers in Jesus, as the sacrificial lamb of God, we understand that we no longer are required to perform this ritual sacrifice of animals to restore our relationship to God. I believe the essence of the sacrificial system is creating a right relationship between man and God. And I think that's what God intended from the very creation in the beginning. From the very beginning, God sought to be intimately connected with his creation. But, Unfortunately, our sin 
was the barrier to that. But with the ultimate eternal sacrifice of Jesus, we are free to be in relationship with him. Truly, Jesus changes everything. When divinity became man and he dwelt among us, his ultimate purpose was to provide a sacrifice for our sins. And so today, we invite you to become aware of your own sin and that Jesus is the sacrifice for that sin. All we have to do is to believe and to commit our lives to him. Would you pray with me? We have become so aware of our sin And Father, we become aware today of the sacrifice that Jesus made for our sin. And so, Father, today we ask that your spirit convict us and that you don't let us leave this place without a commitment, a belief in, the eternal sacrifice for our sin, Jesus. Amen. During the quietness of this moment, I invite you to reflect upon your own life and your own sin. And uh, Melissa and I will be out here in the foyer on the right. And if you would like to visit with us about any of your relationship to God, we'd be delighted to do so.